If you would like someone to beg you to publish their book or, you know, beg you to buy your artwork, the answer is be awesome. Just be fucking awesome. It's the Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place podcast, an art world inside a podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. Well, hello, Passion Baker. This is Miriam Shulman, your curator of inspiration, and you're listening to episode number 166 of the Inspiration Place podcast. I am so grateful that you're here. Today, we're talking all things writing a book. In this episode, you'll discover the difference between hot girl energy and pick me energy. Whether you should self publish, or find an agent and get a traditional book deal. And also the biggest mistake first-time authors make. Believe me, I made this one. And you'll find out how to avoid them. Today's guest is the founder of The Author Incubator and creator of the difference process for writing a book that matters. The Author Incubator was ranked 275 on the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies and number 60 on Entrepreneur Magazine's Entrepreneur 360. The Author's Way was named Coaching Program of the Year and our guest was named by Entrepreneur Magazine as one of the top 10 most inspiring entrepreneurs to watch. She's helped over 1,000 authors in transformation write, publish, and promote their books. Her clients have been responsible for over $100 million in cumulative revenue. With a BA and MA in journalism and media affairs from George Washington University and a PhD in communications from the European Graduate School, she's also a Wall Street Journal USA and Amazon bestselling author of a shit ton of books. I will link to all of them in the show notes. They have great titles like Make Them Beg to Work for You, Make Them Beg to Be Your Client, Make Them Beg to Publish Your Book, The Incubated Author, and The Different 10 Steps to Writing a Book That Matters. Please welcome to the inspiration place, Angela Loria. Thank you for having me. It's always so goofy to be introduced because I just feel like that girl who helps people write books, but you're not allowed to just have a bio that's that girl that helps people write books. So, but I'm that girl that helps people write books. (laughs) I love it. First of all, Angela and I are in like this elitist Facebook group. group. Elitist Facebook group. Elitist Facebook group, right? Where we think we're like so important. No, she's been very helpful to me. So there's that. But also I was on a podcast right after I got my book contract and to prepare myself for that, I picked you as the interview I would listen to. And I was like, oh yeah, she's cool. So you were talking about, this kind of goes along with some of your books, Make Them Beg to Work for You, is going with a hot girl energy. So mm-hmm. could you explain what that is? The hot girl energy, the prize never chases. The book, Make Them Beg to Publish Your Book, I can summarize in kind of not even a full sentence, but a sentence fragment. If you would like someone to beg you to publish their book or you know, beg you to buy your artwork, the answer is be awesome. And I feel like everyone looks for all these hacks. 
Like the way you get people to buy your artwork is like set up a funnel, buy ads, do society six t-shirts, like just be fucking awesome. And people will want your shit. And I feel like that message gets lost in all these other tactics we have now in social and get 10,000 followers in 30 days and do a five day challenge. How about you just make really good stuff? And that's really at the heart of it. And part of that, part of making really good stuff and knowing your stuff is good is spending most of your time and energy on your craft, not on trying to like trick people into buying stuff, but like really focus on your craft. And if you think about hot girl energy, I have a very, I have a very, very, very pretty teenage daughter. And this is the thing. She spends most of her time on, do you know, they don't call them outfits now. They just call them fits. No, I did not know that. Yes. I'm going to teach you a thing. I let's, learned- be, let's be clear. I was never the hot girl. I, no, was, the, I was never the hot girl. I was girl the either. desperate so, girl chasing, you know, chasing right. boys. And like, if you were the chaser, which I was, we spent most of our time talking about boys, which boy we could get, how to chase them. Do you sit in the back of the bus? How do you fold your note? Like, how am I going to get them? This is what hot girls think about being hot. Because I have one. But you know, it's also, it's more than that, Angela. It's also what you said about being awesome. It's also just projecting that energy that you know that you're awesome. The lesson I want to start with is the prize never chases. But I really want to start with like, because watching my daughter getting ready for homecoming, like I know for me, homecoming would be about like, who's going to ask me? Do I go with like a group of girlfriends or like, am I going to get asked by a boy or do I ask a boy? So I'm not waiting. It would be all about being picked. And she's always talking about pick me girl. She's like, oh yeah, she's a pick me girl. Oh my God. There's a term for that. There's a whole term for it. But Sophia is like focused on dressing cool, doing her hair cool, doing her makeup cool. And there are like 30 guys all trying to get her to go to homecoming. And she's like, meh. I don't know, maybe Mm. she kind of says yes. And then she says no. And she's like half in until the guy she really wants asks her. And which did happen. It's all very exciting. So she's just, she won't commit to anyone. She's just not that in. But if you're a pick me artist or you're a pick me business owner of any kind, you're chasing You're not focused on your art. You're not, in my case, it's helping people write books that generate a quarter of a million dollars in sales. So you're not focused on that. You're focused on how do I get people? And that energy comes across as being a pick-me girl. That energy comes across as grabby. And grabby energy, it turns out, is not attractive. So you can look at it from your energy. And this is why I say the prize never chases. I have been to Africa. Never once when I was like driving through the safari parks, did the antelopes turn around and start chasing the hyenas. They weren't like, hey, why don't we get the hyena? You guys, there's lots of us. The hyenas are always chasing the antelopes. That's like how it goes. So if you want to be pursued, And this is where feminine energy, and we talk about the feminine rising, not male or female identifying people, but we are having a rise in feminine energy. And that is 
attraction marketing. People are going to come to you. And the way people come to you is going to be based on your energy. And you can't be grabby and trying to get clients or trying to get collectors to see you or trying to get buyers to pick you and be pursued. You can't be the pursuer and the pursuit. So picking the energy you will show up with, like every day is hot girl summer for me. How can I make it hot girl summer? And what I always say, which is actually true, I say this to my clients, to my authors is, you are always sold out. You have always sold the exact right amount of art for the energy that you are at right now. It's just a reflection. It's just a reflection. So if you want the reflection to be different, your energy has to change first. And what are some ways that you suggest they start with that? I mean, we already talked about focusing on your craft, but are there other methods you you talk with your clients about? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing is look at everywhere you are chasing. It doesn't mean, by the way, that you... like. Sophia goes on dates. Sophia likes boys and girls. Like Sophia likes people. It's not that you don't ever like people. She has an Instagram page. It's not that you don't put stuff up on Instagram. But look at all of your outgoing activities and the energy that goes into them is the energy that comes out. So like one of the things I noticed she does on her Instagram. Now, I'm not saying to do it. She's a 15-year-old girl. Like I'm not saying to do this. But it's just a real, I was like, oh, that's what you do? She takes one, she has some stories up there that are saved, but she takes one photo or a series of photos and she deletes all the other Instagram posts. So there's only one post that's live. She doesn't have a whole history. Oh, that's so interesting. Which is so fascinating, right? Now, I'm not saying to do the techniques, anything you're learning, if you take anyone's course, including Miriam's, and you're trying to learn and copy exactly what she's doing. Like, I just want to be just like her and learn it and do it just like she did. That energy is the problem. Yeah. If you can be chill and be like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, I wonder why she did that. And then see what's vibrationally aligned with you. So when I saw Sophia do that, I was like, oh, because she doesn't need to prove what I need to prove. When I look at my Instagram, it's like, look, I hung out with Richard Branson. Look, I did this cool thing. Look, I have 20 clients. They all smiled in a picture with me. Look, I could feel my pick me girl energy in my history. Now, look, I didn't go delete all my pictures. I'm not saying you have to rush to do that, but do an audit of all the places you want to be chosen because people hear you on the level that you're coming from. It doesn't matter what the words are. Follow anything I say, anything Miriam says, anything Jesus says. But if you're doing it with a different energy, it doesn't matter if you follow the letter of the teaching, if the energy is different. There's that too, but then there's also, there's some tactics that really lend itself to pick me energy. So for example, I like to call it the perfume lady in the department store. None of us wants to be in marketing. The perfume lady, you know, we all hate that perfume lady that's, you know, you walk in and she's coming at you. (laughs) Right. And I see that in marketing a lot. You know, the people who will send you a three paragraph DM 
we've all gotten them, you know, like on Facebook, like, and it's not even from the person, it's from their VA, you know, it's like three paragraphs long about all the things that they can do for you. And here's their webinar and here's their this and here's their that. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have so much perfume on me right now. Get away. Yeah, exactly. I think that's totally true. You know, what I would say to look at is like, when you see a technique like that used on you, notice how you don't like it. Because I think a lot of people don't notice it. Then they'll go do it. Yeah. I had a business coach telling me to do it. And I was like, how's this working out for you? And he's like, oh, well, you have a bigger audience than me. I was like, so I'm going to repel more people than you? I mean, it's like, you're obviously, it's not working so well for you. So why would it, just because I have more people doesn't mean it's going to work better. It's going to work worse. <laughs> you know, just there's more people to, to blow perfume on. So I would argue this. I argue that all marketing works all of the time. Oh, that's so interesting. Marketing is reflecting back to you where you're at. You're always getting a lesson. from The purpose of marketing isn't just to get clients. The purpose of marketing is to learn where you're at. And sometimes it's like where you want to be. Like I know, I remember going through this early on in my career. I didn't even know they were sales calls. I just thought I talked to people who wanted to do a book. So I would talk to people who wanted to do a book. And at the beginning, I would sell them and I'd be super excited. And then it would be like hard. And they would be like difficult clients. And then I would start getting on sales calls. And I would sort of sabotage the sales call because I knew if the person bought, I was going to have to do something to serve them. I would have told you I wanted the sale. Like my words would have said, I really need money. I really need this client. But really, I was like, how, where, when do I do another client? 2 a.m. to 3 a.m.? I'm making $1,000 a week working 80 hours a week. So if I need $2,000 a week, I have to work 160 hours. And oops, I don't have enough hours. Sometimes what your marketing is telling you is you don't have a really good system. You are right. You're going to burn out. Your subconscious knows, like, don't sell this. Yeah. So I think you're always getting a message from your marketing. And the question is to listen to that. What is it? What is the message giving you? Yeah. Like, I mean, I do hear that sometimes from clients. They, they fear success because they don't know how they're going to keep up. And I was like, well, maybe it's time to raise your prices. You know, like there's usually exactly. an obvious answer for how to fix it. Like you got to slow it down and you don't have to. Sometimes they worry, well, my sales will plateau. It's like, that's a story you're telling well, yourself. That, a, that's a story. And B, they're plateauing anyway. Right. So, because they can't handle more. So exactly. you can have three clients at $300, or you could probably have one client at $1,000. Even if you have fewer clients, you'll have more sanity. It's like a lot of times the stories don't, we don't take the time to add the story up. Raising your prices is a big part of the prize never chases. So that is you ask for some techniques. When you know you're awesome, let's think about Michelangelo painting the Sistine Chapel. He was like, it's going to take me a long time. It's going to be a lot of money. You probably can't afford it. I'm going to get a really good client who's going to pay me a lot of money for a really big project. Like If I'm going to do this, I'm going to charge a lot. When you know you're awesome, 
you price things accordingly. When we go through this imposter syndrome BS that a lot of us are prone to go through, we end up underpricing, but then we don't really do a great job of delivering. So we've got like a half painted Sistine Chapel, and then they have to bring someone else in, and we really didn't do a good job. Mm. Things are actually, especially now with inflation and stuff, but things are more expensive than we're often pricing for. We, what I notice a lot is people price as if they're an employee. So they're like, as an employee, I would make, let's just say, $25 an hour. But you're not pricing for all of your education. You're not pricing for all of the other jobs. So the overhead, the accounting, the marketing, the sales, you're just pricing for, let's say, the art or the book coaching services. You need to price for all those other jobs. And you're not pricing for it because you're afraid you won't get the business. But here's the thing. You shouldn't get the business at that price. You're underpricing. So you're going to do a shitty job. That's such a good point. I have a minimum required price for for my authors. When someone does a book with me, if you want consulting from one of our... Now, if you want the book, it's whatever, 10, 20 bucks. It's a hardcover, paperback, whatever, ebook, audiobook, ebook. You're going to spend not more than 20 bucks, I think, to get in any format the book, which has a ton of wisdom. But if you want consulting, what I tell our authors is, to just get started with anyone, to turn on your computer, to answer their phone call, it's $2,000. That's the minimum. And I would say the same thing for a piece of art. Like just to turn on your computer, that number is so much higher than you think it is because you're not really running the numbers of your business. Just to reiterate some of the things you said that I see with my clients is they'll say to me, oh, so, you know, if it's free shipping online, do I give them a discount if they pick the art up in person? I was like, no, in fact, that should be more expensive because that's your time. Like, they're not going to talk to you when they come to pick it up. And so people, they don't think about all that work that goes into the customer care, like you said, and it doesn't matter whether your customer is buying a $5 greeting card or a $5,000 painting, they will ask you just as many questions before they make that decision. Yep. If not more. Oh, yeah. Right. Because the bottom feeders are the ones who are going to be holding on so tightly to all those things. By the way, I wanted to make sure you knew about my free training, How to Sell More Art Without Being Insta-Famous. During this free training, you'll learn why your success is not measured by your social media following and what's really going to move the needle when it comes to sales. We'll dig deep to go beyond the starving artist mindset to uncover what's really sabotaging your success, and you'll discover the five P's of profiting from your art. These are the five things you need, so pay close attention. Plus, you'll hear inspiring stories of artists who have built a sustainable income selling their art. You'll want to see how they did it and so much more. To choose your showtime, go to shulmanart.com forward slash sell more art. Now back to the show. Okay, so I'm super excited to talk to you about 
this whole book publishing. I, I actually have a traditional book publishing contract. It's mostly because I didn't know that that was hard to get, <laughs> which is a good thing I didn't know because now I've been reading the statistics. It's like, it's a good thing I didn't know that because I probably never would have done it. What are the statistics of people getting books published these days? I mean, I know that there is a, a huge reason now to self-publish. It's so hard to get a book traditionally published. Yeah. And I don't think the reason is that it's hard. Okay. So what do you think the reason is? is? That they're stealing your money. It's the same reason why if I was in the music industry, I wouldn't go with Warner Brothers Music or a music publishing company. So what a lot of people don't understand about publishing, you get an advance if you go with a traditional publisher, you get an advance. Let's just say it's $10,000. It's $100,000. It's a million dollars. Doesn't matter. It's an advance of your money. They're giving you your money in advance. And it works just like a payday loan, only the terms are worse than if you went to a payday loan company. So here's what they said. You were going to earn a million dollars on your own. But because we're going to give you the money in advance... We'll give you a hundred thousand. We'll keep nine hundred thousand as the you know, just like our fee. But you keep the hundred thousand. It's all good. That's your advance. So if you sell it online yourself without them, you make a million dollars. But if you get an advance from them, pretend it was easy to get the advance. You get a hundred thousand. They get nine hundred thousand. Now the reason for this loan sharkery used to make perfect sense. Let me tell you the reason. Almost all sales happened in bookstores. And you, Miriam, could not call up every Barnes & Noble and say, put my book there. So you were trading 90 cents on every dollar in exchange for a whole building full of white dudes that were calling Barnes & Noble saying, will you put Miriam's book on the shelf? And there were trucks involved and crates and printers and shipping containers and truck drivers and unions and a whole bunch of things called logistics that had to happen to get your book printed, shipped, ordered, and in bookstores. Which, by the way, all those things, which they still have, take a effing long time. I was shocked when I was given my contract and they said, so I signed the contract. I ended up signing it in June, but when we were negotiating it, they had the original sale date as 2023, which was like two years later. I was like, are you kidding? I may not even be alive in two years. I mean, do you know what the state of the world is? We moved it up. It's going to be published the end of 2022. But it's like... I could have had a self-published book by January if I was doing it myself, because that's like when my book is going to be written. We do our books in three months. For You're hours. kidding me. And they can start making money in three months. So what does that process look like? So, but let me, so let me just explain this thing. All those logistics that yeah. used to be valuable, yeah. over time, between 2000, 1998, and 2020, they were less and less valuable. Like the value of having a publishing contract was slowly going down. COVID hit and the value of a contract went to you're a fucking idiot if you sign a book contract. 
book sales went from when I started in publishing, 1994, 100% in bookstores. Right before COVID, it was 50-50 online versus bookstores. It is now 15% in bookstores, 85% online. Wow. And the book sales online are no different with or without a publisher. In fact, a publisher just slows you down and fucks shit up because they have requirements and minimums because of other trade deals that they have with Amazon, court settlements, other things. So you will sell more books online if you are independently published. So you are giving up 90% for less access to an audience. Mm -hmm. That's the problem with traditional publishing. And they are trying to fix it. Contracts are changing. Brendan Bouchard, who I don't love his coaching, but what he has done for the publishing industry is transformative. People don't know this because it's so out of his whatever sweet spot. But he figured all this out and he has changed contracts and the people who have come before him. Russell Brunson has done some stuff to change contracts as well. The publishing industry just can't move fast enough. It's 40,000 people that have been in jobs for 20 years. They're not smart enough. They keep hiring 20-year-olds, but the 20-year-olds don't get it because they've never not had it this way. Right. They're not innovating. Yeah. It's really a hot mess of an industry. And we we have that. We're not the only ones with the solution, but we have the solution. But when we've met with publishing executives, they're like, that's brilliant. It's so hard to move the ship. Like we have people with contracts that are two years away. What do we, how do we do it? There's like no way to do it. So it's just dying. Like COVID has just killed publishing. And the only people signing contracts are people who can't do math. They just haven't realized, oh. So you're calling me stupid. <laughs> I'm calling everyone stupid. I'm like, you just do math. Let me do math with you. I feel like Andrew Yang. I want a hat that says math. It no longer, it used to make sense. When I started, I was the biggest advocate, but it really, it all fell apart during COVID. And it's just, everything's happened so fast. Like you were, when you were signing that contract, we were probably all thinking when COVID's over. Oh, I was thinking when COVID's over in March of 2020. I was one of those naive people who thought, oh yes, my God, me too. three months and we'll be, you know, flu season doesn't last in the summer. We'll, we'll be back on the beach in the summer, you know. It's like, no. <laughs> like Same thing, two though. years later, it's like, what the hell? Yeah. And people's buying behaviors have changed. Searching behaviors have changed. So much has changed that now publishing's like, and they're all doing the same thing. They write a quarterly plan. And two weeks into the quarter, so much has changed. None of us know what's going on anymore. No. It's just moving so fast. Things are so different. And I like to say, I don't know about you. I have trouble leaving my house. I become so agoraphobic. I was mm-hmm. like, you know, my friends have to drag me out. It's like, 100%. We have coffee in person. That's a thing again. I was like, I haven't caught up. Yeah, I know. I'm exactly the same. I went to see my sister and she was like, you should fly. It's only a one hour flight. And I was like, I should. And then I was like driving. So I live right outside New York City. I won't take the train anymore. I'm spending so much money on Uber. I was like, I like, Uber. I have to be in my bubble. Meanwhile, it's like, that's probably just as germy as everything else. But I'm not used to being around so many people. It's not the the germs. I'm just not used to like the crowds. My editor in chief went to Hamilton last weekend 
And I was like, how was it? And she was like, I went on intermission to the bathroom and the crowds standing in that. She's like, I was so freaked out about the number of people waiting in line to go to the bathroom. I think it's the same number that we're always there. We just haven't stood in line to go to the bathroom right. in two years. That's right. That's right. Oh, my God. oh we that have to wait. Reflections on what? Hamilton. That's right. And that was their big takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> their big takeaway was the lines for the bathroom. Okay, so I'm going to ask the next question on here. And I just want you to know, this is your question. So if I say it with the wrong intonation, like, okay, how can you write a book quickly and guarantee the book is actually good? This is such a perfect segue. And I'm so glad you jumped in with this now, because we're talking about how fast things are changing. One of the things that's changed is if you think about Martin Luther's 95 theses, if you think about the Bible, if you think about war and peace, writing a book was so rare and it was so important. Like you're writing Anna Karenina. Let's pour over each word. And there was a quality standard at that time that often we now, post-COVID in Washington, D.C. and New York City, running online businesses that are changing every two weeks, hold ourselves to. Things were changing a lot slower when Tolstoy was writing. And so good needs to be reevaluated. Are you holding yourself to some sort of, I call it the English teacher in the sky standard? Like, do you have in your mind, like, if I'm going to write this book, it better be good. Good according to whom? Tolstoy? Hmm. Like Gutenberg? Good according to whom? So we must start our process. Everyone listening, we must start our process by defining good. Because good has changed, my friends. There are lots of goods. And and I'm not saying we shouldn't write the great American novel if that's what we're going for. That's a different process. And please don't spend three months on your book if you're writing the great American novel. But for many of us, we're writing a book because we want to build a collective or a community. We're writing a book because we want to attract collectors. We're writing a book because we want to have a giveaway a bonus, maybe a lead magnet. And those do not need to be held to the Tolstoy standard. If you know what you're doing with your book first, and we call it what's your book result. This is the first thing I do with my clients is we identify your results. I think Simon Sinek would say, start with why. But when Simon Sinek is starting with why, he's talking about like your big why to change the world, to make the world a better place, whatever. I'm talking about like, what's your little why? For this book project, what's the goal? Is the goal to make $250,000? Is the goal to add 10,000 people to your list? Is the goal to find five key collectors that over the next 10 years are going to invest between 10 and $50,000 each? What's the goal for the book? Let's get really specific and write a book that accomplishes that goal. Once we get clear on that, most of my authors spend between 24 and 48 hours actually writing the book. Wait, what? Here's how it works. I'm going to give you all my secrets here. It is not, it's taking me a little bit longer than 24 hours, just so everyone knows. And my mantra to get to put anything on the computer, I just say ass and chair, ugly words. That's been my mantra this whole time. 
Ass and chair, ugly words. Ass and chair, ugly words. That's good. And you know, uh, Bird by Bird, and Lamont, shitty first draft. Yeah, but I had to be willing to write shitty first book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got really stuck. Like I understood shitty first draft, but once I understood, no, no, it could be shitty first book too, that it like unlocked things for me. Okay, I got you. You know, like Brene um, Brown's books, her first book is not whatever her fourth book. I don't know what book she's on. Fourth book. Oh, you mean people get better over time? <laughs> exactly. Okay, this is the example I use because do you like, or at least pre-COVID, do you like getting a massage? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, okay. I, yeah, I was the first one back once they lifted that okay. in my neighborhood. Okay. Right. I love a massage. Can you imagine any good massage you've gotten? That person's first massage? Mm. for sure the massage you got was better than their first massage like of course their massages get yeah, better the they don't know how to hold the sheet they don't know how to leave the room they're gone for too long they come back they knock you're half naked it's like awkward you don't know how to roll over they like tripping they're they get the music too loud the music's too quiet they talk too much you always know when it's somebody's first like when they're young because they talk too much. They don't know when to stop talking. I just ask for Peter. I'm not going for the new girl. Peter was not amazing on his very first massage. And we often have expectations of ourselves as writers, like we're supposed to be at our hundredth massage when it's our first massage, be where you are. You can only get to your hundredth massage by doing your first. You can't like skip ahead by sitting on your couch. You can't read about massage appointments or watch videos of massage appointments and get better. You just got to do it. So here's how you write your book in 24 to 48 hours. Super easy. Works every time. We've never had anyone fail at this. The first thing you have to do, this is the hardest thing, and this works best with a coach or an editor, is you identify your why. And then you come up with an outline for your book. And I teach this in my book, The Difference, 10 Steps to Writing a Book That Matters. I do this with my clients. You got to have an outline. We call it chapter summaries. Once you have them, each chapter, our books are usually around 12 to 24 chapters. Each chapter has already been outlined. So we know what's going in it. And we set a timer for two hours. And it's like a Project Runway episode. You have two hours to write the shittiest word vomit you can get on a page. It is a time test. You think of it like your essay for AP English senior year in high school. You've got two hours to say whatever you can think of. If you are lost or confused, you just go to the outline and you write whatever was there. If you need to do research, you write a note to your editor. I need to interview three journalists about this thing, whatever you need to do. But you just keep writing for two hours, the best thing you could possibly write in two hours. So we have our authors schedule, once their outline is done, they schedule 12 to 24 writing appointments, each for two hours. The editor sits on the phone with them. They can talk the chapter if they're better at talking. It's usually 15 to 30 minutes if you talk a chapter or if you're better at writing up to two hours writing. And you just write something and that's where you start and you iterate from that and you make it better 
each time. So we have three rounds of editing and you do up to two hours per chapter. So two hours to write it, up to two hours per chapter, three rounds. That's all you need. I'm so jealous I didn't do that, by the way. (laughs) It sounds a lot better than what I've been doing. And we bang them out. They're good. And I know they're good because they meet the objective we set when we define good at the beginning. So we might define good as a thousand beta testers for my new investing platform. And then if we get those thousand beta testers from our first 10,000 readers, we know the book was good. We're not depending on the English teacher in the sky or the Tolstoy standard. We're depending on a specific goal that is reachable and measurable within a year. We want to make sure we hit that goal within a year. So from start to publication, you suggest a full year with your process. Is that right? 13 weeks. Oh, wow. 13 weeks to published. And then it's a full year to recoup your, not to recoup your investment, but to get a return on your investment. Got it. And then you go to the next book. And that's the other thing that changes to answer that question that you asked, which is how do I know it's a good book? You're going to write another one in a year anyway. Don't be so fucking precious. Right. Fine. You're not writing War and Peace. We're going to write plenty of books. It's just a technique that we're using to reach a goal. It's the lowest lead gen cost available. And there's a very specific reason why, which is books have inherent value. People have a value associated with books. So if you're trying to get collectors and you have a mission behind what you do, you can build a collective of people who buy into your mission. And let's say we get a thousand people to get that book that really has your core mission statement. 10 of those people are going to become key collectors. And then for a lot of artists, and I'm talking visual artists or creative artists, it would be even, there's a lot of art technique books. So a lot of artists use art technique books to build their business and their brand to become an expert if they want, you know, to sell their online classes. I know many artists, Flora Boley is one of them. Um, Lila Rogers is another who have used these books as the foundation for their business. What is the biggest mistake that first time authors make while trying to get a book done? They worry about getting a book contract. And in order to get a book contract, and this is really hard to understand, you guys, especially if you're over 40. And I'm over 40. I'm 48. So I get this. So we grew up at Walden Books. like We grew up in our heads at bookstores. And the goal, bookstores have limited shelf space. So the goal was to make the idea for the book as big as possible. Ideas that are as big as possible can sell the most books. They don't really anymore, but they, they can in theory. And they definitely did when we were coming of age and buying books in our 20s and pre-internet. Now, the books that make the most money serve the smallest audience. So writing the book for a teeny tiny niche audience... And the example I always use is in the past, the big book of back pain would have gotten bought by every Walden books, chapter books, Barnes and Noble. I think Barnes and Noble like came up in my 30s, Borders, whatever, like all those early bookstores. They wanted the big book of back pain because they only had so many, how many back pain books were they going to have in their store? They didn't have that many books. Now online, we want postpartum back pain. We want early 
labor back pain. We want back pain for women over 50 that are 20 pounds overweight. Like we want it as niche down and specific as possible. Because we're like, why do I care about back pain for men in their 20s that throw shot put? That advice isn't going to relate to me. So smaller books sell better. Right now we see the sweet spot around 150 pages. It used to be like 500 pages because people wanted to get their money's worth and they wanted their shelves to have value. Mm. So smaller books, smaller ideas, getting really specific about your audience is going to maximize your book sales. And most people think getting really general is going to maximize their book sales. Okay, I'm seeing all the places I've... Yeah. <laughs> oh, gee, Angela. Okay. So if somebody wants to do not, do not what I did and do what you do, how do they find out about the author incubator? We have a ton of URLs here. Which one should we send them to? Here's the thing I think is I have a really great workshop so you can go to theauthorincubator.com and you can read things and see things and there's a blog and all that. But if you want to take a workshop, I think when I did this, I charged like 127 bucks for it, but it's up for free right now. So if you go to the, T-H-E, authorincubator.com slash workshop, that's a three-hour workshop that deep dives into each of these issues. I believe in giving away my best stuff. So this has literally every single thing I teach. The only difference with being a paid client and this workshop is we will sit there on the Zoom call with you and watch you do it. Because otherwise, sometimes there are squirrels you may be aware of. You wouldn't believe the feedback I got after I had Tracy Atsuka, who's an ADD expert. Everyone's like... That's me. I guess I have it. And then there's people who know they have it, the people who think they have it, the people who are like, it sounds like I have it. I was like, well, if it walks like a duck, it's probably a duck. Yeah. It's probably what makes you amazing at your artist. 100% because you need to have good ideas and our ability to be distracted is what gives us our best ideas. But it also means for stuff like this, we have to, someone needs to sit on us. Yes. So we're basically book babysitters. Maybe I'll change our company name. We'll just sit next to you while you write your book so that it's as painless as possible and as productive as possible. So if you're going to do it, you're going to make a fuck ton of money and it's going to take as little time as possible. That's kind of our philosophy. We've included links to all those places in the show notes, which you can find at shulmanart.com forward slash 166. And don't forget to check out my free training how to sell more art so you can escape the social media grind. To sign up for that, go to shulmanart.com forward slash sell more art. All right, Angela, do you have any last words for my listeners before we call this podcast complete? Yes. My biggest advice, this is the hardest thing that I have to teach my authors over and over. And it's my biggest wish for you, which is to do less better. My philosophy, and this is where I see our authors have the most success, is our authors come to me and they're doing workshops and one-on-one coaching and group coaching and they're running a Kickstarter and they're writing a book and they're starting a podcast and they're doing so many more things than any one human being can realistically do well. 
that they're doing everything kind of crappy. And the result of that is they feel crappy all of the time. Actually, when you know, we started talking about the prize never chases. One of the things that makes you the prize is being awesome and feeling awesome. And if you are going to be magnetizing people towards you, you can't feel like crap about all your half-done projects. My website's not done. I bought ClickFunnels, but I'm not using it. I bought this class, but I'm not taking it. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. All that stuff builds up. And I think it creates a shield around you that I think of as like an invisibility cloak. People just can't see you because you're cloaked in shame of all the things you're not doing. And my audience, by the way, that shows up, I like, they think they need Etsy Society 6, Redbubble, their own website, Fine Art America. Like they have all these kind of half-baked things. Like you said, yeah. it's just like too many things. And you really should do the craft fairs too. I mean, you got to get out there. People have to see you. And you should also have a better email list, really, if you think about it. And you also, a lot of people have podcasts now and you should like, so the shouldn't, the shouldn't all over themselves, shouldn't all over ourselves all day long. So my biggest advice is one project a quarter, one marketing project a quarter, no more than one, but do it well and drop everything else. But most importantly, drop the shame around not doing it. So do less better. And also drop the shame about asking for help. Oh, God, yeah. There's no badge of honor here. It's taking me so long and so many tears. And there's so many days, Angela, where I've said to my husband, I made a huge mistake. I should just give back all the money. I mean, like, I'm now I'm like so far into it. It's like I'm swimming across the English Channel. I can see the shore. I'm not stopping now. I'll drown. But there were so many times I was like, oh, my God, what the hell was I thinking? I feel like I want to start a podcast so I can have you tell that story. Because <laughs> people don't know. It seems like it's the answer. Like once I get chosen. No, once I got chosen, it was like, then the imposter syndrome kicked in. It's like, well, they're going to discover they made a huge mistake. And then like, don't they know I have a learning disability? And why didn't I remind myself that I, I spent all those hours in the learning center in college. Like I wasn't good at writing papers. Why did I think I could write a book? And now I'm like writing a book. When you get help, it doesn't have to be so hard. You don't have to make it so hard for yourself. So if you're thinking about writing a book, Angela is the bomb. She's helped so many people write best-selling books. That I didn't make that up, right? That That's true. You did actually. not. Okay. I think it's about 1,500 now. I stopped counting Pre-COVID, I stopped counting when we hit 11-11. June 11th, 2019 was our 11-11 bestseller. And so then I just decided I had permission to stop counting. So I think it's like 1,500, something like that. It's amazing. All right. So thank you so much for being with me here today. Thanks for having me. And you guys just keep doing what you're doing. And I think for everybody, the struggle is real, but more than ever, art makes a difference and you just can't stop. If that message is in your heart, you got to put it out there. We have another great episode coming for you next week. Make sure you don't miss it. Go to your podcast app, hit that plus sign or it's the follow button. And if you're feeling extra generous, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts because it helps other artists find the show. All right, my friend, thank you so much for being with me here today. I'll see you the same time, same place next week. Stay inspired. 
Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course on shulmanart.com. 